Wonderful. So I was at that same hockey game last night. Um, I loved the fact that I got to wear flames colors in enemy territory. I took a lot of pride in it, and I can't wait to do it again. Yes, we did fall in the shootout, but we dominated the game, and I will say that loud and proud every time. But we are here in Vancouver, and so I choose to also cheer for like the Whitecaps and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and I guess the Lions because it's the CFL. So there's that as well. But it's, uh, it's been a good start to the month. I hope February's been good for you. Uh, it felt like January kind of lasted forever, am I right? That it just seemed to keep on going and going, and now we are already 10 days into February, and... Uh, we don't know where the time has gone. But we're going through a series right now called Church Closes. And so if you're new here, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to be here with us. My name is uh, Jason. I get the privilege of being the, the lead pastor of this new church community here in Langley called City Collective. We're all of four and a half months old, which is a lot of fun as we get to figure out what it means to be a church community, to do life together, to to try to live out what it means to be Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis and to ask those questions that we want to be asking in our everyday life. So we're going through a series called Church Close right now. And th that is our journey through the book of Galatians. Sorry, is that okay, everyone? Am I echoing? We good? Okay. Through the book of Galatians. And uh, last week we were in Galatians 1 and we were looking at the simplicity of the gospel and how Paul, Paul is a passionate person before he meets Jesus and then he's a passionate person after he meets Jesus. He's extremely zealous about the fact that the idea of the gospel, the idea of grace, the idea of Jesus and the message that he gives us is so simple and he's saying do not mess with the simplicity of it. So it's kind of funny that we're calling a church closed because I talked about it last week. It seemed like right as we announced that we were talking about church closed, Marie Kondo and like tidying up your life came out on Netflix and everyone started to do that and everyone talked about Marie Kondoing their, their closets and that's kind of how I picture what Paul is doing with the Galatian church. He's Marie Kondoing the Galatian church. He says that you've got some stuff in your closet that you don't need in order to live on a day-to-day -day basis and to follow Jesus. You got a little bit too much. It's time to cut it down. So we're going to continue through uh, the book of Galatians and we're going to go into Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Are you, are you with me? We ready? Let's go into it. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and it says this. It says, but when Cephas, and that's the Greek word for Peter, came to Antioch, and that's where P Paul did a lot of his original uh, work, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for the sphere of the circumcision faction. Who wants to join the circumcision faction? That's an awful name for it, but we're going to call it that. <laughs> and the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. And it's key to notice here, it's fascinating how hypocrisy is contagious. When we say one thing and we do another, and we kind of devalue and we, uh, we devalidate the things that we've kind of prioritized in previous experiences, it's funny how that can spread really, really quickly. 
And it goes on to say, but when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We, are, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. Great. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, thank you for the word. Thank you for all that you're going to do in our midst this morning. Uh, Thank you for the passion that Paul brings in the book of Galatians. Help us to catch that. Help us to listen and see how that speaks into our own story and listen what Paul was writing to that Galatian church at this time. We're so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Give me one second. I was worried yesterday. Uh, we're, we're cheering, of course, and we're loud, and we're a part of the game, and maybe I get a little excited during a hockey game or two, and uh, we got the end of the game, and I was like, I'm losing my voice, and I got to preach tomorrow, <laughs> so uh, I calmed it down a little, did routine, I think I'm good to go, but it was fun, we were at the hockey game, Lots of crazy things that were going on, and we were enjoying the moment, and we were with uh, friends at the time, and we made friends around us. Isn't that always how it works at a hockey game, that, you're, that you show up in a jersey and you make some friends around you really quick, and uh, you get to know the people around you, and you're high-fiving, and it's this wonderful experience that you get to enjoy together. And it's, and it's funny that these things that we enjoy together are important, but the things that we say together are important as well. The things that we do together draw us closer. The things that we think together draw us closer. And it's this idea of hypocrisy has kind of invaded the Galatian church, and now it's starting to spread to all that are are around. And my question for you this morning that I want to open up with is, have you ever had multiple groups of friends in which you acted a little bit different in each group? Maybe uh, in one group you, you did like a specific thing and then in another group you refused to do it. Or in one group you listened to like a certain type of music and then you showed up in the other group and that song kind of comes on and everyone's like, who is this person? Or you uh, have like a specific skill in another group that you're kind of known by and then you show up in another group and then it comes out in the moments and everyone has no idea who you are in that moment. Or if we're tying to church really specifically, maybe you were someone who went to church and you knew that when you went to church, you had to act a certain way at a specific time and that if you didn't act that way, someone was going to get a hurt real bad. And then you went to school and you weren't such a delicate little flower. <laughs> Acting different ways in different spaces. But what happens when the habits that we have or the influences that we have in one space begin to seep into the other areas. So obviously I'm of Indian descent and I think we can make that assumption. Um, And I I grew up here in Canada. I was born in Calgary, Peter Lougheed Hospital, northeast of Calgary, born and raised, grew up there. It was great. Uh, But as you can tell, I I don't speak the language particularly well uh, at all. (laughs) And 
that, that was limiting in some, some ways, but my family back in India on my dad's side were really accommodating around this, around this fact. And so whenever we would go to visit, they would take their time, they'd, they'd try and teach us, they would, they would provide numbers and words, and you'd pick up little things along the way. And so every time that we went to India, uh, I would get to know a little bit more of the language, a little bit of maybe the accent would kind of with me there would be like these little things that kind of just like stick with you along the way but my grandfather he always had this one phrase that he would say every single time and it was kind of used as if like is used for us or uh, something to accentuate a thought and it was the phrase acha acha always acha acha everything was acha and, and, it, and it means nice but he didn't just use it in the scenario of like nice he used it like, oh, you're, you're good today, acha-acha. How, how's your morning going, acha-acha? And, and at the beginning, I was like, I, I have no idea what you're saying. That makes no sense. But it's like this fun little tidbit that he kept on saying over and over and over again. And while we were there, I would hang out with Grandpa, and then I would end up picking that up. And then we came back to Canada. And guess what? A little habit, a little bit of an influence started to seep into my, my language and how I was talking. And I come back with my friends, and, and I'm like 14, chatting with my friends, and someone says something, I'm like, acha, acha. And they're like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? And, and I get a little embarrassed, and yeah, yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. And it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens a couple more times. Until finally, like, I, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed about it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not comfortable with having that kind of seep into this. To having those two worlds kind of connect. It made me, it made me uncomfortable in the moment. So I, what, what do we do when we're uncomfortable with one thing seeping into the other? We pretend that has never even happened, or it doesn't exist, and we push it away, and we are almost ashamed of it. And when we ask the question, what happens when the habits or influences in our life begin to seep into one area or another, we're left with this, this value proposition. This, this question of what do you value more in this moment? And this is, this is a silly story of where there's not a huge value proposition in this scenario, but for Peter and for Paul, when Peter's going into this scenario with the Galatian church, he has a significant value proposition in front of him. Where he has gone and he's been eating with the Galatians. He's been eating with the Gentiles. And then these Judaizers, the, this, this Jewish community that he was familiar with, that he was friends with, that he was comfortable with, shows up. And says that you can't eat with them anymore. And he stops doing so. So his value proposition in that moment is actually, is he going to choose his comfort or God's calling? And I don't want to beat up on Peter because Peter gets beat up a lot in the Bible. But he, he makes a decision where he says, I'm going to choose to be comfortable over God's calling. And now, don't get me wrong, don't over-spiritualize this phrase, God's calling. Everyone's calling in this world is to love God and to love people, but he chose his own comfort over the decision to love people in this scenario. And this gets Paul fired up. 
passionate Paul comes to the party and has something to say about Peter and his decision to not eat with his friends, the Gentiles, anymore just because the circumcision faction shows up and says, you can't do that anymore. Who cares what the circumcision faction says, according to Paul? And then we see in this scenario that there's a decision made between I value my comfort more than God's call upon my life. And don't we do that all the time? Where we make the decision that our comfort is more important than actually the care and the calling to love other people. Because this is the the conversation and the narrative of our society that the most important person in the world is you. And then Jesus comes in this scenario and, and he says, yeah, you're really important. I came for you. But the minute I came for you, you stopped being the most important in the world. You started to have to worry about the next person and the person after that and the person after that. And it's about loving the world around you. And Peter, Peter spent three years with Jesus. You would think he would have gotten it at that point. But even at the end of three years, we still see Peter make the decision that, no, 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 my, my own comfort. My own comfort comes first in this scenario. And Paul is, Paul is upset. Because he knows Peter. And he knows how important this situation is. That Peter has a specific call upon his life to help lead this community to come to know and to follow Jesus. It's, it's almost like uh, hypocrisy is one of those, those words that Scott leaves us with a bad taste in our mouths. And, and, it, and it feels like this grave and, and this tumultuous is, issue that we all like face sometimes. But in reality, it is a value proposition. What do you value more? Do you value the words that you say more than the actions that you carry out? Because if so, that's what leads us into that place of hypocrisy. It's like if uh, you had... You made a decision as a family. You're not going to eat sugar anymore. It's an awful decision, but you made it. It's your, it's your choice. It's your life. <laughs> and uh, you, uh, are, you're, the, you're the head of the household, and you're leading that family, and you made a decision. We're not going to eat sugar anymore. And you do that during the day, and you say, we're not going to eat sugar anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. And then at night, tiptoe down those stairs. Open up that freezer. Oh, that ice cream looks real good right about now. And you pull out that ice cream. And you put the spoon in. And you have that first bite. And then out of that corner of your eye, you see that toddler looking at you. (laughs) As you enjoy that scoop of ice cream. Well, now the toddler is... Well, why am I having to not eat sugar in this scenario? It completely devalidated any statement that was made. And so Paul is upset. He's like, you have an incredible opportunity in front of you, Peter, and you're ruining it 
by worrying about your comfort over someone else's care. And we got to do something about this. And so Paul, so we have to understand, when Paul's writing this letter, he's writing to the Galatian church, and this isn't a personal letter, this is a letter to a, to a community of churches in the area. So he would write the letter, he would send a runner, the runner would go church to church, he would read the letter, and then he would pause there for a bit while they copied it, didn't have photocopiers, copied it at the time, and then he would go on to the next church. So this wasn't a personal letter written to a specific someone. This was written to a community of churches. And so isn't it interesting that he calls someone out in this community letter for everyone to, to understand what a big deal this is to separate your comfort and your calling. And he does this really intentionally. But here, here's the question that I'm left with in this moment. Is how do I actually confront people? Because can we ag agree that confrontation is difficult? Confrontation is uncomfortable. Confrontation sucks. <laughs> and we all try to avoid it. Maybe some of us thrive on it, but I think in general we don't like the idea of confrontation. And, and Paul comes in the scenario and, and he wants to go at it with Peter. He's throwing fists before the fight's really even begun. And it, and it kind of seems unfair to Peter to call him out in front of everyone. How does that reflect Jesus? It doesn't, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like Paul is being kind in this scenario. Because when I look at the Bible and how we're supposed to deal with confrontation, the, the person that I want to look at is, is the person who provides grace in every situation, and that's Jesus. And Jesus in Luke 6, he, he, sa he says this. If you could toss the screen. In Luke chapter 6, it says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. All of those things seem so difficult. Because we, when we feel right, we feel right. And it's easy to be defensive. And it's easy to be unkind. And it's easy to focus on ourselves. But maybe the first filter of confrontation that we need to consider is how excited are you to tell someone that they're wrong when you're going into a conversation about confrontation? Are you really excited to tell someone how right you are? Because if you are, you're probably going into it with the wrong attitude. Because... Paul is not going into this conversation to tell Peter that he's right and Peter's wrong. He's going in because he cares for the person that Peter is. He cares for the community that he's a part of and for the sake of the gospel that he is there to communicate. 
Because Jesus says, do good to those who, who hate you. And this means actively engaging with someone who is against you. And engage doesn't mean provoke. <laughs> engage means pursuing a forgiving outcome. That's hard. Then he says, bless those who curse you. And that means actively speaking well of someone who is speaking poorly of you. And, and, and even better, the trick is that you start to say good things about that person even when they're not around. That's integrity. That's, that's hard. And then he says, pray for those who mistreat you. And this means actively hoping for the best for someone, even those who actively wish to harm you. And that one's even harder than the last one. So Jesus is inviting us into this new conversation of what confrontation can look like. That he doesn't want it to simply be this space where we get into a fight and it's about the fight and it's about being right. He wants it to be more than that. He wants to understand that this is an opportunity for grace that is simple in our stories to be grace that is given to people around us. And grace is unconditional forgiveness. Grace is the idea that you are forgiven for the past things that you've done. And then you are forgiven for the present things that are going on as well. So that means that grace in a confrontation is that you are forgiving the person as they are harming you. And, and if we're being honest, that seems impossible. But that is why grace is so different than anything we've ever experienced in this world. Last week I had the, the purple dinosaur with the orange stripes on it. This idea of something that we've never seen before, something that we've never come into contact with, something that we can never replicate really because of who we are. But that is what grace is. That we look around in our world and we don't see it anywhere else. We, we can't explain it anywhere. But it's this idea of unconditional love and forgiveness that we are given and then asked to give. And so Peter and, and Paul, they've got, this, they've got this relationship, they've got this dynamic. So it, it seems like an uncomfortable situation, but Peter has two th uh, Paul has two things going for him. He has experience and he has relationship in order to deal with this confrontation. Because graceful confrontation isn't right even if you're right and you would be right if there is no relationship because right before this 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 passage that we just read it says that Peter and Paul they had spent three years together they had, they had talked about what it means to to share the gospel they had set a game plan in place that we're going to go out and we're going to tell the world about Jesus they knew each other. And then Paul says later on that he says that the, I, I, I knew the law. I was led by the law. I was shaped by the law. But I've come to know that the law is not enough. 
that rules and regulations don't tell me who I am. They don't lead me to a place of grace. They don't transform me. They don't heal me. But the idea of grace, this idea of unconditional forgiveness and love has changed me in a way that the law never could. So he has this experience in the law and he has this experience in relationship. So he doesn't want his friend to experience the law the way that he had. Because it says in the Bible that Paul was extremely zealous, and that probably is discounting how zealous he was actually. He was literally going around and killing Christians. He was more than extremely zealous. He was consumed by the concepts of rules and regulations. Because what happens when rules and regulations and laws take over our life we start to draw lines in the sand. We start separating people. We start making a decision that my values and my priorities and who I am is more important than who they are. And when we create these separations, it's when we lose those opportunities to tell people about this amazing person named Jesus. And this is why Paul tries to fight to keep it so simple because he's like, I've done it. I've made those mistakes. I've gone too far. And I just want to tell you that Peter, I don't want you to go down that road. I want you to actually draw people into the story of Jesus. That the same one that transformed your life can transform theirs. And the same simple truth that he told to you, you can tell to them. That all you need to do is just trust in him. You don't have to join the circumcision faction. You don't have to get your life right right away. You don't have to start to change your lifestyle. You don't have to have it all that it changes immediately in that moment and then grace is given. The same grace that Peter received. Sometimes we forget the grace that we receive as Christians and how wonderful and how beautiful it is when we talk to people who don't have that same experience with Jesus. And we add qualifications and we add these accessories, these church clothes, to this idea of grace. And when we add all the hats <laughs> and the watches and all these pieces to our wardrobe of our faith, sure they look good. Sure, it, it might seem nice. And hey, is a great feeling when everybody looks the same and acts the same and talks the same. Man, that, that creates this incredible sense of belonging. But that is not a belonging that invites people in. That's a belonging that excludes people from the story. And Paul is saying, you don't need that. You don't need that. All you need is Jesus, that Jesus is more than enough. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly challenged by the idea of this value proposition in my life. I feel like every single day I have moments where I have to ask the question, what do I value more? And I fall short often. Where I place my own priority, my own comfort, 
over the things that Jesus would invite me into, over the, the care for others, over a kind word in a confrontation, over the need for me to be right than simply speaking with kindness. So what is the value proposition? What, is, what are the two things that you're constantly having to battle in your own story? Is your comfort the number one priority in your life? Do you even consider others when you are making decisions? Are you searching for the easiest and quickest way to make your life feel and look right? Have you created moments on a day-to-day basis to, to validate the things that you're doing, even though you know deep down that they don't reflect Jesus? And maybe these are hard questions, because they're hard questions for me to answer. And to be honest, they feel a, a tad confrontational. Like they're asking something of me that I don't really want to answer. But Paul writes of this scenario with Peter, not simply to call Peter out, but for the Galatian church to understand that you have a value proposition to consider. Does your comfort take priority over God's calling? To love him and to love people. And he asks that question to them just as much as he confronts Peter with his issue. Because in the verses that follow, he talks about it so genuinely. He tells his story of how the law was the thing that he grabbed onto. Rules and regulations to draw him closer to God. But then he came to this realization that he was justified by faith. That he, was, that he was saved and he was set apart by this idea of placing his faith in the person of Jesus. And it transformed his life. And let's understand this. For, for Paul, the idea of the law would have been way more than we can even comprehend or understand. For, for a Jewish mindset, the law wouldn't have simply been a, a, a rule book with with rules and regulations for them to consider. For them, the, the law was, was almost as if it was God. It was, it was the thoughts and, and the written word of God given to them. And so the idea of Paul giving that up speaks of a revelation that transformed him already. It says in, the, in, in some of the rabbinic scholars, what they say is that when God gave the Ten Commandments from, from the mountaintop, he gave it in, in all 70 languages that were there in the people of Israel because he wanted them all to understand it. This was a holy thing that they considered. And so for Paul to say the law was done, and then he even says that if I was to somehow try and build up the law after it has been torn down, I am a sinner. And he's trying to, to push through to the reader that you don't have to do things a certain way at a certain time to get it right with God. That he loves you unconditionally. 
that he sees you and he knows you right here, right now, in the midst of all that your life looks like, in your mistakes, in your hurts, in your victories, and in your struggles. He sees you right here, right now, and his love is there for you to take. His forgiveness is there for you at all times. He never stops saying, I love you. When we say we can't hear the voice of God, I don't believe that's because he stopped speaking. I believe that's because we stopped listening. That we live in such a busy and so, such a full society that there's so many different things that we place as priorities over him. That we stop listening for that still, small voice that just assures us over and over again that you are loved. And then we make a mistake and we're like, there's no way, and we push it away. And we forget to read our Bible, do our five-minute devotion in the morning. And we're like, oh, I'm a bad Christian. <laughs> he doesn't care for me today. And we, we, we build on all these like, excuses in our life as, as to why we shouldn't talk to him because he's not going to talk to us. He is speaking to every single one of you right now, to every single one of us. And maybe he's not saying exactly what you want him to say right now. But let me assure you that, that he, what he is saying is exactly what you need. And it could be as simple as you are loved. That grace is for you. And it might seem too simple. But this is what Paul is advocating for. He's saying it is simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it tougher on yourself than it needs to be. If you want him to be a part of your life, you can have that right now. It is possible. I love that that is the story that we're invited in, into. Earlier this week, uh, I had a friend of mine that he passed away really suddenly at the beginning of the week. And late 30s, uh, four kids under the age of 10, just devastating. Just like one of those, one of those moments that causes you to pause and, and to ask a question. What are some of those conversations that you had together? Someone that I can say I, I really loved. And, and to see the heartbreak his family's going through right, right now has been tough this week. And I chatted with them, with his brother and with his wife, and they were such a testament to who he was on an everyday basis. And maybe this is my moment to honor him. That he was, he was a man that would always speak so honestly, whatever he was feeling, but always did so with so much kindness and so much peace about him. 
He'd been on this like journey of fighting cancer for two years. And I remember the first time that I told him, the first time I told him that we were going to be moving to, to start this church. And the, the honest joy that kind of just came out of him in that moment. And, and his, his one piece of advice. He's like, just don't ever forget about the next person. He's like, I still believe in you, what you're going to be doing. He's like, never forget about the next person. And I know he's not a hypocrite because, man, I've, I've never seen someone love people so intentionally in every space that he went. So there's, there's a hole in my heart this week. That's <laughs> what it feels like. But you know what's incredible is that there's grace for that. In my, in my confusion and in my anger and my, my hurts and my struggle, there's grace for me in that. That he allows us to feel the reality of life, but he refuses us to leave us alone in it. So for, for, for you this morning, I don't know where you find yourself on your, your journey of life, your journey of faith. If you stumbled in here and you just weren't sure what, if you just wanted to be here for, to hang out with people that you love or if you wanted to be a part of the worship or you even cared about the sermon. My hope for you, my hope for us, is not that we get everything right not that everything comes together perfectly. It's not that I say every word so beautifully or with the exact amount of clarity and precision as I want. My hope for us is that we would be so overwhelmed by the sense of grace in our present story that it would propel us forward to love people in such an intentional, dramatic overwhelming, sensational, and passionate manner that it causes everyone around us to ask why. To not live with accessories and church clothes that we think we need to validate ourselves in community or to feel like we belong, but we keep it simple. And we just look to Jesus and we just trust in him. And then when we have moments where we <laughs> go a little too far, we put on the clothes that we shouldn't be wearing, that we understand that there's grace for that. Just come back to him. So if you're here this morning and, and you don't know this person named Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you don't understand this idea of unconditional forgiveness, specifically for you. He wants you to experience that this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like it's been a tough week to even talk to him, to get to know him, to build up that relationship with him. Great. Me too. 
There's grace in that for each and every one of us. And if there needs to be a shift in our minds to get rid of this need to create qualifications to be a recipient of that love, release that burden. You don't have to do that anymore. You get to just receive. See, grace is this, this beautiful relationship with God where, where he's speaking and he's giving and then we're receiving and, and it's this interplay. And it's not this like simple formula and this, or this legal manner that is talked about sometimes and how we sometimes understand it. But it's a relationship that's, that's dramatic and it's confusing and it's unconventional, but it's beautiful all at the same time. And you have God speaking and us receiving and then you don't know where God ends and where you begin. And then it's all together in this one beautiful moment in this one beautiful space and he is with you at all times and you just know that even when life is hard and when things don't go your way and when things are good and when life seems to be a victorious moment that he is with you in every season and every moment and he just wants you to know beyond anything that you are loved so I want you to know that this morning I think that changes us. Guilt doesn't change us. Fire and brimstone doesn't change us. Grace came first. Grace leads the way, and love changes us. Would you pray with me? Father, You are so good. Thank you that you lead the way. That we are invited to be faithful to you because you are faithful to us first. You are invited to love you because you first loved us. So in these moments of how we live our life on a day-to-day basis, in our moments of confrontation and conflict, our moments of trying to fit in along, our moments of doubt and uncertainty, I just pray that we experience your grace over and over and over in those moments so that it changes the way that we respond, that it doesn't leave us the same that it takes the very best parts of us, the things that you have so beautifully crafted and designed into every single person here, that it takes those things and puts it on a path of incredible purpose and potential to change not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. Thank you that our story doesn't end with us. Thank you that your love is freely given. That's unlike anything we can experience in this world. But yet you choose to give it to us. So for every person here that doesn't know you, I just pray that they, they get a moment to experience that love afresh.
for everyone here that's maybe having a tough week. Moments of struggle, uncertainty, doubt. I just pray that there's a revelation all over again of what grace means. And for every single one of us, as we step out into our day-to-day existence, our workplaces, our schools, our homes, and our communities, I just pray that we start to operate with the mindset that it's not about our comfort, it's about the calling that you give on our lives, to love God and to love people and to do that with this desperate passion to see them know you. So align our hearts in this way. Draw us closer to you and help us to discover you anew. In your name we pray. Amen.